that Valentine's Day is over, we're going to continue our study in the life of Moses. And we just got to the really big part, which is when the plagues happen in Egypt. And we're going to be going through all ten of the plagues, plus the extra sign that God does before the ten plagues begin, and go through each and every one of them. And so we're going to jump to that pretty quickly, but just before we do... As I go through this, what I want us to pay attention to is the progression that takes place as we move down the line from all of the plagues that happen. And I'm going to be highlighting how each plague kind of becomes a little bit bigger of a deal as we go along. But I just want us to be aware of that and watching for those changes as we go through this. So like I said, we're going to start with the one that is actually before any of the plagues happen, and it's the first sign that takes place. And this is in Exodus chapter 7, starting at verse 10. It says, So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron threw down his staff in front of Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a snake. Pharaoh then summoned wise men and sorcerers, and the Egyptian magicians also did the same things by their secret arts. Each one threw down his staff, and it became a snake. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Yet Pharaoh's heart became hard, and he would not listen to them, just as the Lord had said. So this is the first miraculous work that God does here, and it's Aaron's staff becoming a snake. And what I want us to see here is that this first sign takes place just for Pharaoh and his officials. It's not for anybody else to see. Nobody else is there at the time. It's simply for Pharaoh and his officials as a sign of God's power for them to see. We then move on to the first plague that takes place, which is the water turning into blood. And this is down in verse 19 of chapter 7. The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the streams and canals, over the ponds and all the reservoirs, and they will turn to blood. Blood will be everywhere in Egypt, even in vessels of wood and stone. So all of the water in Egypt here turns to blood even water that was in different vessels uh, throughout the people's homes throughout Egypt. All of the water turned to blood. And this is a big contrast from the first sign that took place, because the first sign was just for Pharaoh and his officials, but now this first plague that takes place is something that is witnessed all across Egypt. Everyone in Egypt sees this display of God's mighty power. We then go on to the third plague, the plague of, of frogs. And this is in Exodus chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, This is what the Lord says, Let my people go, so that they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go, I will send a plague of frogs on your whole country. The Nile will teem with frogs. They will come up into your palace and your bedroom and onto your bed, into the houses of your officials and on your people, and into your ovens and kneading troughs. So frogs all over the place. And 
you could really say that this is the first plague that takes place with living creatures because Aaron's staff turned into the snake. But if you want to say that, well, that was still something that had creatures involved, well, still, this would be the first plague that involved several living creatures. So God was showing that his power didn't just uh, go so far as to affect inanimate objects, but even living creatures were under God's authority and his influence. So again, we're, we're seeing a progression of God's power being displayed, first just for Pharaoh and his officials, then for all of Egypt, and now showing that it uh, extends to living creatures as well, and not just one or two, and not a snake that be, or a staff that became a snake, but a whole plague of frogs. The next plague is the plague of gnats, chapter 8, verse 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the ground. And throughout the land of Egypt, the dust will become gnats. They did this, and when Aaron stretched out his hand with the staff and struck the dust of the ground, gnats came on people and animals. All the dust throughout the land of Egypt became gnats. But when the magicians tried to produce gnats by their secret arts, they could not. So this plague, the plague of gnats, was the first of these signs and wonders that could not be reproduced and mimicked by the magicians. It was something that went beyond their power. So now God was showing that his power went beyond being able to be reproduced by other people. And still, Pharaoh would not let the people go. So then we go on to the plague of flies. Again, still in chapter 8, down at verse 20. Then the Lord said to Moses, Get up early in the morning and confront Pharaoh as he goes to the river, and say to him, This is what the Lord says. Let my people go so that they may worship me. If you do not let my people go, I will send swarms of flies on you and your officials, on your people and into your houses. The houses of the Egyptians will be full of flies, even the ground will be covered with them. But on that day, I will deal differently with the land of Goshen, where my people live. No swarms of flies will be there, so that you will know that I, the Lord, am in this land. I will make a distinction between my people and your people. This sign will occur tomorrow. So this plague of flies highlights even more that it is God at work and not some natural disaster. Because the flies only affected the Egyptians and did not afflict any of the Israelites who lived in Goshen. So here God was showing that he wasn't just sending plagues to cover all of Egypt, but he was targeting specifically the Egyptians that were holding his people slavery, and the plagues did not affect any of the Israelites who lived in Goshen. They were spared. Then God goes on to the plague of the livestock. 
This is chapter 9 now, starting at verse 3. It says, The hand of the Lord will bring a terrible plague on your livestock in the field, on your horses, donkeys, and camels, and on your cattle, sheep, and goats. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and that of Egypt, so that no animal belonging to the Israelites will die. This plague was the first plague that had a permanent effect. They could find new water. They could wait for the frogs and gnats and flies to all go away. But they couldn't get their livestock back that had died. So this was the first plague with a permanent effect. We then go on to the plague of boils, still in chapter 9, starting at verse 8. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take handfuls of soot from a furnace, and have Moses toss it into the air in the presence of Pharaoh. It will become fine dust over the whole land of Egypt, and festering boils will break out on people and animals throughout the land. This plague was the first one to affect the Egyptians directly. Not just their land, not their water, not even their livestock, but the Egyptians themselves were affected by the plague of boils. We then go on to the plague of hail in chapter 9, verse 18. God says, Therefore at this time tomorrow, I will send the worst hailstorm that has ever fallen on Egypt, from the day it was founded till now. Give an order now to bring your livestock and everything you have in the field to a place of shelter, because the hail will fall on every person and animal that has not been brought in and is still out in the field, and they will die. So each person who did not heed this warning and take shelter inside died. So it wasn't until this plague when God took human life. And he didn't just take the life of all of the Egyptians. He didn't take the life of innocent Egyptians. Only those who ignored God's warning. But this was the first plague to take human life. And it's all the way down at the seventh plague. God waited seven of the plagues in before taking life. And even then, it was only the life of those who ignored the warning that was given. We then go on to the eighth plague, the plague of locusts. This is now over in chapter 10, starting at verse 13. So Moses stretched out his staff over Egypt, and the Lord made an east wind blow across the land all that day and all that night. By morning the wind had brought the locusts. They invaded all Egypt and settled down in every area of the country in great numbers. Never before had there been such a plague of locusts, nor will there ever be again. They covered all the ground until it was black. They devoured all that was left after the hail, everything growing in the fields and the fruit on the trees. Nothing green remained on tree or plant in all the land of Egypt. This was the plague that left nothing. See, even though there had been a plague of 
livestock, there's still, when it was talking about the hail, talking about bringing livestock in. So there was still some livestock that they had, even though most of them had died. And the hail ruined most of their crops, but there was still some left. So up to this point, the plagues had decimated Egypt, but still left some behind. There were still some crops, there was still some livestock, there was still enough for them to continue going forward until the locusts came. And the locusts left nothing. They ate all the crops, ate all the trees. There was nothing left that was green in Egypt. Complete decimation. And then we get the ninth plague, the plague of darkness. This is still chapter 10, starting at verse 21. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward the sky so that darkness spreads over Egypt, darkness that can be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky, and total darkness covered all Egypt for three days. No one could see anyone else or move about for three days. Yet all the Israelites had light in the places where they lived. This was the plague that prevented people from even being able to just live a day of their life. They were covered in complete darkness. And it says darkness that can be felt, and that's such a creepy term to me, this idea of darkness that is so dark so devoid of light that it can be felt. And that is what they had to live in for three days, completely unable to live their life as they normally would. The plague of darkness, which comes before the final plague, the tenth plague, which is the plague on the firstborn. This is chapter 11, verse 4. So Moses said, This is what the Lord says. About midnight, I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die. From the firstborn son of Pharaoh, who sits on the throne, to the firstborn son of the female slave who is at her handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. There will be a loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there has ever been or ever will be again. This plague on the firstborn, taking the life of each and every firstborn in Egypt, destroyed their lineage. Because the firstborn held a particular social status. They were the primary heir of the previous generation. They were the ones that that generation would place everything that they had on their shoulders to continue carrying their family line forward. And in this night, God took them all away. Now it was no longer their lives being affected. It was their lives and all of their future generations as well. And that was finally the breaking point for Pharaoh. 
And it was after that tenth plague that he let the people go. So we can see as we go through each of the plagues that there's a progression that takes place, that each one is a greater display of God's power, and it's more devastating than the one that came before. And this left me asking the question, why? Why did God make the plagues gradually worse? Now, my first thought would be that God makes the plagues slowly get worse because he's trying to give Pharaoh a chance to to realize his mistake and change his mind and let the Israelite people go. And so he's just pushing it up a level every time until he gets to that point where Pharaoh will relent. But that thought doesn't really work when we remember that all throughout this time that this is taking place, that God is also hardening Pharaoh's heart so that he won't let the Israelite people go. And I've talked a little bit about why God hardened Pharaoh's heart. It was so that he would be able to display his might, his power, not just for the Egyptians, but for all of the people in the surrounding area, including the Israelites as well, that the Egyptians, the Israelites, and all the people who lived there would either witness these events happening or hear about these events happening and recognize who God was, that he was the one true God with full power and full authority. So if that is why God was hardening Pharaoh's heart, then why bother with making plagues that gradually get worse? Why not just hit Pharaoh with ten massive, completely destructive plagues to show off how powerful he was? And so I actually had kind of a hard time reconciling these two things. Why would God make the plagues gradually get worse, alongside of hardening Pharaoh's heart. I understand him wanting to make the statement of his power and his justice in in getting justice for the Israelites who had been kept in slavery. But why the progression of the plagues when it couldn't have been giving Pharaoh more chances to change his mind because God was still hardening Pharaoh's heart. And I thought about this, prayed about it, and finally I realized that when God is, when God is doing this, when he's sending the plagues, he's not just using it to make a statement about his power and justice, he is also using it to make a statement of his loving character as well. And you might think, well, well, how is God sending plagues on the Egyptians showing us his loving character? And again, it comes back to this progression. That God doesn't start at the worst thing, 
and continually send the worst of the worst against Pharaoh. He starts with the very simple sign that's not even a plague, the very simple sign of changing Aaron's staff into a snake, just before Pharaoh and his officials. He starts small and works his way up. And he does this because as the stories are going around about the powerful plagues that God sent and the statement that that makes for all of the people living on earth, alongside of that, he also wants the story to be shared and the details to be shared that God didn't start with total destruction. This is not an instance of God's unbridled wrath, but rather his justice being bridled by his love. So that God, even though in this instance is preventing Pharaoh from giving in, he's hardening Pharaoh's heart throughout that, that he is still showing that his character is one that gives many chances. And that his desire is not to punish us. He doesn't want to just take off the gloves and go to town. He only wants it to teach us, to correct us. And he will start with as gentle of an approach as possible with us. And we then decide whether or not we're going to allow him to correct us or if he's going to have to then push a little bit harder. And a wrathful God doesn't do that. A wrathful God doesn't begin with a gentle approach. But our God does. The one true God who even in this incredible instance and just spectacular show of power and getting justice for his people who the Egyptians have wronged. Even in that moment, we see the character of his love shining through. In that he doesn't just throw the book at Pharaoh, he starts small. He starts with the gentle approach. And this, this idea of God sending the plagues on Egypt is probably one of the most iconic moments in Scripture of the justice of God. And that's why this is so incredibly mind-blowing to me, that even in this example of God getting justice, that his love can still be seen. We truly serve a God who is both just and loving. And during the plagues of Egypt, where he is hardening Pharaoh's heart so that full justice could be served, but also doing a progression of plagues, shows that he is both just and loving. And that is a statement being made here. And what incredible comfort we can take in knowing 
that we will always find the love of God in the midst of his justice, and that his justice can also be found in his love. He is both loving and just, both just and loving. His justice comes in love, and his loving is just. And that is something that we need to remember, so that when we're experiencing the justice of God in our life, that we remember that it's being done in love, and that when we experience the love of God, that we remember the great sacrifice that Christ had to make so that that love could fulfill God's justice. And whatever we experience, we can always find both the love and the justice of God. And as followers of Christ, our actions should reflect that as well. That when we are holding justice high, that we are doing so with love. And that when we are loving, that we are making sure that we are not unjust in our loving. Because that is the example that God set to us in Egypt. And it is the example that we should always remember in everything that we do. And that is another sermon in the pocket. As always, if you have any comments or questions about anything, feel free to contact me either through the Sermon in the Pocket Facebook page or you can email me directly at sermoninthepocket at gmail.com. And as always, I encourage you to share this with other people to help get the message out there about what was really going on during the plagues in Egypt. But until next time, this has been another Sermon in the Pocket. I pray that God will bless you as you go throughout your day. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Thank you.